I must admit, I didn't think much of this show the first time I laid eyes on it. Seemed like a bunch of stiffs wasting nice Worst microphones. Worst trade of all time happened back in 1803. Go ahead. Napoleon Bonaparte traded the Louisiana Purchase for $3 million. Napoleon, what happened? <laughs> Half the country for $3 million. You can't even get Tucker Barnhart for $3 million. And I came to realize anymore. these guys are funny. And Justin Fields have identical stats the last five weeks about throwing the football. This guy, okay, and folks, is a fidget spinner. some of the best spare. gamblers I've come to know. If you're betting on USC and or TCU, let it be known, you are a square. TCU is going to hammer this team tomorrow night. And I hate to hear that. Tomorrow when we afternoon. come back in here on Monday, you're going to be happy as a lark because USC lost, but you're going to be wrong about TCU. Get ready for the most useless hour of your day. It's time for Boxed Lunch, presented by Betfred Sportsbook. Now, Casey... Run that track. One of these days, we're going to get a track. We got to get a track, right, Casey? I think we're yeah. getting a track. I mean, that's our, that's, that's our responsibility. We'll get that track ran at some point. But we have the usual suspects in here today. We got Paul looking fresh, as people in the chat so had brought up. He looks right? good. Cut. I got to get a cut later today. We got Reed Mouse in the house. Say ho. I don't have a uh, fancy thing of saying with say ho. And then McAllister. And Tom's head. And, and Tom. But Tom's <laughs> So the first thing, which, you know, this is where, this is where I don't want to hear excuses come Monday, okay, about this whole Mahomes ankle thing. If Mahomes is going to decide to play and he thinks that he's capable of playing, I don't want to hear after the fact, if he doesn't play well, about how his ankle was the reason as which he didn't play well, Right. You can't have it both ways. And I'm not suggesting that, that he should sit on purpose or he should bail out of, of possibly playing in this game when he thinks he could be serviceable. But if he gets in the first drive or two of this game, fellas, and he realizes that ankle in 10-degree weather isn't cutting it and he's not able to play that well, at what point as a quarterback, as a teammate, as a leader of a team, do you have to be honest with yourself and say, Chad Henney might be a better option than me right now because I literally can't do the things that I normally can do. And that's where I, I, don't, I don't feel, quote-unquote, sorry about the idea of holding Mahomes accountable for however he plays. If he goes out there and plays well, he's going to get all the praise in the world. If he goes out there and plays poorly, I can tell you right now there's going to be a handful of people, if not a massive amount of people, that are going to say it's largely because of his ankle. He's the one that's making the decision. Largely, he is the one. You could say, well, it's the training staff, it's the coaching staff. No. They're going to Patrick, and they're saying, Patrick, can you play or not? And he's got to have an answer. And if he answers yes, everyone's going to call him a warrior. They're going to say that, you know, basically he's, you know how they do it, that, he, that he's a gamer, and he's going to make plays. They're going to numb it up. They're going to do all the things. I get it. Maybe he can go out there. But I don't want to hear the excuses that, on Monday, when he throws two interceptions or he, or he does has a bad game, that you hold him accountable as if he was healthy. Is that fair or unfair, fellas? What do you think about that? Fair, right? It's a little fair, and you're right about the, the point about if he truly can't play, then he needs to recognize that he shouldn't play. 
But, you know, your entire life you're told as a competitor, like, you stay in the game, you stay in the game, you stay in the game. But at some point you got to have some self-awareness and be like, if I truly am a detriment to this team, then I've got to pull myself out. Because no one's going to go up to Patrick Mahomes and be like, hey, man, you can't play. It's going to come down to him. But like you said, it's a zero-loss game for Patrick Mahomes at this point. Because if he wins the game, the myth – the mythos of Patrick Mahomes lives on and moves forward and be like, oh, he's the GOAT. He's the greatest of all time. He did it on one leg. I think it uh, – who's the Kansas City fan? Nick Wright? Yes. Yeah. Nick Wright. Said he's the third best quarterback in the third, league. Third yeah. best quarterback in the league. He goes, Patrick Mahomes one, Joe Burrow two, Patrick Mahomes on one leg is the third best quarterback in the league. Oh, yeah. Yikes. But, it, yeah, the mythos lives on. And if he loses, he just goes, oh, but he was banged up. And I think that's what you're getting at, right? We, 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 you can't have your cake and eat it too. There has to be some loss here. And that loss is, if you can't play, then don't play. But if you're going to play, we have the right to criticize you for how bad you play. Yeah, that's all I'm asking. And, and it's a relatively simple point. And I already know the narrative. And I already know how this is going to be painted if he doesn't play well. And it's going to largely be that he was hurt. And I'm just sitting here saying, on Wednesday well before the game happens, that I am judging Patrick Mahomes, and you could say I'm a hater already, that's fine. If he goes out and plays well, then it's going to, be, it's going to look terrible for, for, for my take, right? But if he goes out there and doesn't play well, I'm holding him the same accountability as if he was completely healthy because it's, it's his decision on whether he's going to play or not. So I don't think he can play. We talked about this before. I, I, I will be utterly shocked if he plays. They've tripled down on it, though. Like, he's going to play. Like, Andy Reid said he's going to play. Patrick Mahomes, I believe, tweeted that he's going to play. Like, they've, they've, there's no indication that he's not going to at least try to play, at least to this point. And maybe they're smokescreening smoke this game heavily, but it, by all accounts, he is going to try and play. Now, whether how well he can play, I don't know. But Is it worse to play in a game, start a game, and this is one of those things where it's completely hypothetical. Chat can chime in what they think. If you're Chad Henney, would you rather be in a position where you know there's a good chance that you're going to play, but you're just not going to start, so you might come in? Or would you rather just know that you're playing and start? Like, clearly you would rather just know that you're playing and start the game, right? So how big of a disadvantage are the Chiefs making it to where they're going to try to push a guy out there and in, and in one series, he has to come out. And next thing you know, you're running your backup quarterback out there. Is that a huge deal, or am I making that out in my mind to be bigger than it really is? I think to me, it's the how big of a deal it is depends on how much he's involved with what needs to happen in practice this week. Because if everything is game planned around Patrick Mahomes, and everything is the, the the focus of this week for the Chiefs is Patrick Mahomes and how he's going to play, and then all of a sudden Henny gets thrown in there. Now the Chiefs are smart enough. This is the same point I made on Monday. Andy Reid knows the Chiefs are smart enough that they're not going to leave. Uh, Chad Henney is going to get the reps that he needs this week in practice to be able to be a serviceable quarterback on Sunday. But I think I don't. You would not agree with this, Trace. But I think a lot of people would say that they would still take a hurt Patrick Mahomes over a Chad Henney. I don't think it doesn't sound like you would agree with that. But, no, what percentage, what percentage of Patrick Mahomes until you agree that Chad Henney's the better option? I don't know. You got to have a, you got to have a general idea in your mind of like, if Patrick Mahomes can't do this, Chad Henney's the better option. In your mind, what is that? 
40% of what he can do. I mean, it's pretty low. I would take Mahomes over any, That's, any day of the I think the week. Chiefs are going to live or die with Patrick Yeah, Mahomes. I mean, my God, you got a franchise guy and you're going to go to – again, what I said on Monday – it's not like Chad Henney is a first-year backup that they drafted in the sixth round that they're going to just throw out there to the Wolves and hope he does okay and catches lightning in a bottle for 60 minutes. He's a guy that's been around for a long time, has been paid millions of dollars, and has sat in an incredible offensive system in Kansas City to know what he needs to do behind a really good quarterback consistently and a supremely talented head coach. He's not going to just be given nothing and just have to go out there and have some magic like we all thought Brock Purdy was going to do when he got out there. Chad Henney's done this twice now in the postseason where he's come in for for a banged up Mahomes and and has played really well. So to think that it's a disadvantage to him to not start him, he's done it twice, right? He's he's come off the bench. You know what it reminds me of, Trace? You played college baseball. You remember like you're at Urbana, you probably had like a freshman come in that had a lot of talent but just had no idea how to pitch like sure. and you play on a Tuesday night and you're like, we're going to give this kid a, we're going to give this kid a start. But you tell the senior like, Hey, but be ready. We might need you in the second. We might need you in the second inning, third inning. If this just, if shit hits the fan here, that's what it kind of reminds me of. Like Patrick Mahomes gives you the, the better chance to win without a doubt. And you got to at least throw him out there to see how he plays. That's but you tell point, Chad yeah. Henney, like, come on, come on. You might need to be, you got to get ready to go. That's that's the that it's more Henny love for me than it is Mahomes hate in a way because I think Henny has proven to me that he's a, he's serviceable like he knows the system really really well mm-hmm. it's he's not fumbling around a playbook he's been there long enough to where this isn't like uh, uh, a guessing game anymore he he's very very knowledgeable within the system that they play in and he proved it by coming in last week and going 99 yards and I know that's a like a laughable thing at times where it's like you know. Patrick Mahomes is a system quarterback or Chad Henney's a whatever. Maybe the Chiefs are just a dynasty to where you stick anybody in there. And maybe that's relatively true. But Chad Henney did go 99 yards right down the field. And we can't just assume and push that to the side like that was a fluke. Because he, I don't think it was. I think if, if you put Chad Henney in the, in the game right off the rip versus what I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be, this is where it's get, it gets laugh out loud funny at times. I think it's dead even, if not favored. Chad Henney's the better option. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But again, the mo- the main point of this whole segment was I don't want to hear the excuses about how well someone played or didn't play based off the circumstances because the circumstances are known before you go into the game and you can't cry woof when you say, oh, well, he didn't play well because his ankle was hurt. He knew his ankle was hurt before he stepped out there. He could have made the decision that he wasn't going to be able to play. So if he plays, then, then it is what it is. I'll leave it at that. You got anything to add to that, fellas, over there? No, other than that, uh, you know, I agree with you. I don't think um, the, the injury excuse is really lame. Um, it's always been lame in, in football. When you go out there, you're out there. You're, you're playing. Whether you like it or not, you are. You but there's are times, Casey, to, to that point, there's times where you could, you could make an excuse. Like the Bengals' offensive line right now, if someone's really banged up and they can somewhat go out there, then it's like, okay, that makes sense. But if there's a genuine backup that, that, that you, know, you could argue could do just as well, then, then I think that to your point, maybe it is an excuse. But you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, 
I, just to sort of clear, I, I agree with you that I think they should pro probably play Chad Henney if the injury is as significant as we saw that last game. I There's just no way that Patrick Mahomes can play and not potentially re-hurt himself again with the pass rush that the Bengals have and the way that they've been able to contain him in the past. I mean, his game is so predicated on him being able to extend the plays that the Bengals won't let him like, the game plan should be that they won't let him sit in the pocket because they know he can't run around in the pocket or outside the pocket right I mean it, it I think they should start Chad Henney um can, can and I don't not? think I don't think the excuse for the injury it, it should be you know I don't think they, they should use it. I think if you're out there, you're out there. And then if not, then. Yeah, La Lazia Lee right now in the chat. By the way, I, I'm not a Bengals fan, but I'm going to become one this week because I think it relatively it's hilarious to sit here and say that, well, you know, you say injury excuses. Dude, yeah, it's a fact. There's facts. There's injuries every, every single week. And maybe I'm misinterpreting what you're saying. But you can't sit there as a Chiefs fan and be like, well, we have our best quarterback. You know, Patrick Mahomes is hurt. Well, like the whole entire offensive line. For the Bengals, is banged up. They're hurt. Like, to Casey's point, at some, times in, at some point in the football season, everyone's got injuries. It, it, every team has their litany of things that they have wrong with their team. The question is, is can you overcome it or not? And some of that's depth. And yes, the quarterback's the most important position that there is on the field. I'm not debating that. But I'm not going to put up with the idea that the, that the Bengals are somehow now, they're at full strength and now they don't have an excuse. Like, everybody has injuries. That's why I said there are no excuses come Sunday. No excuses on either side. It doesn't matter. I don't want to hear the narrative of one guy getting a pass because of something happening when he's the one that made the decision to play or not. Let's move forward. Reed, you've been on this this take, if you will. You, you, It's not a shtick. You believe it. I don't believe it. You believe it. That Patrick Mahomes is by far the best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. And if you said out loud that if the Bengals went on Sunday, what are you going to do? So it goes both ways, just like just like what you said previously. The excuses go both ways. That if Patrick Mahomes loses this Sunday, there's no excuses. I will retire that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback in the NFL. I will retire that because Joe Burrow's beat him four times, and I will continue. I will never get back on that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL until he beats Joe Burrow. Now, the, the same thing said. If a hobbled-up Patrick Mahomes beats Joe Burrow, on Sunday, beats the Bengals on Sunday, then it's going to take even more for me to get back on the other side. And for for you two to say that Chad Henney starting might be the better play for the Chiefs, guys, Patrick Mahomes played really well last week. He played really well on, a, on one leg. He completed 73% of his passes, had a passer rating of 112, which is the second best passer rating he's had since Thanksgiving. Threw two touchdowns, and he only played one drive at 100%. So Patrick Mahomes on one leg played incredible. So to sit here and think that he was hobbled and banged up and didn't play well last, last Saturday seems a, a huge misstep in logic, or at least in misremembering. No, but I, like I said, I will, I will retire that Patrick Mahomes is the best in the NFL if Joe Burrow beats him on Sunday. And good golly, I hope that's the case because I'm going to be an arrowhead, Burrowhead. As we beat them again. Yeah, I mean, I, I only said what I said because 
I fear of the re-injury possibility or making it worse. If he gets hurt now, like let's say he he broke his ankle or he he tears something in his ankle or Achilles or whatever, he's out for the beginning of the next season. But it's for a chance to and to go to the Super Bowl. I, I, I get that, but I don't know if the risk is greater than no, 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 no. Hold on. I'm stop you right there because you always do whatever you can whenever you have the opportunity to get to like you're not sitting for the potential of the future because you just never know right. when you're going to be back in this position. Yeah, but arguably, I, I hear every year about how Mahomes been in five straight AFC championships. He's a dynasty. They're a dynasty. They'll be back. Not a big deal. I've heard I've, I've heard that a lot. And so so to flip it on your head, I know what you're saying. Most times, go for the gold. Who gives a damn? Yeah, you got to. But but yeah. that is your man. To Casey's point, that is your guy. Like, if Joe Burrow— if this is the first round of the if playoffs. If Joe Burrow had a knee situation going on right now, and you said, if a doctor came to you— and we're, we're making hypotheticals out the ass right now. Right. If a doctor were to come to you and say, listen, there's a good chance or a decent chance that if he plays in this game, that he could have a career-altering injury. Now, I know that it might not happen, but it could— I'll be honest, as a Bengal fan, I'm not taking that deal. I yeah. got 10 more years, 10, 12 more years of Joe Burrow. If Joe Burrow had a high ankle sprain going to the AFC Championship play game, I want him to play. Oh, he's on or the I field. Yeah. Yeah, I want him to yeah. play. So if he has the exact same injuries, Patrick Mahomes are here, I want yeah. him to play. 100%. Yeah, and I'm, all, I'm only saying it because we don't really know how severe the injury is. Yeah. Because yeah. they've already said, they've already come out and said that he's going to play. Right. But the way that he played last this last game, Yes, he played well. He played but really you well. Can, you saw him on there. He was he, yeah, he was not mobile. Not he would mobile. take the snap and literally hop on one foot to hand the ball off on the run play. And I don't think that they're going to be able to get away with the same game plan. Yes, he played well, but they had to rely on that run game a lot more. And the Bengals are not going to let that happen. The Bengals are a much better team than the Jags. I even said it last week. The Jags were a poor man's Bengals, and they almost beat them. Yeah. Do you think that the game plan, the last – three times they played Mahomes was to keep him in the pocket. It really, it seemed that way. It seemed like, listen, let's stay in our rushing lanes. I know we want to sack him. If we do sack him, great. But more importantly, let's make sure that he doesn't get out of pocket off script and beat us that way, because that's when he's at his most dangerous. Let's drop right. a bunch of guys in coverage. Let's just keep, keep Hendrickson and uh, Hubbard around the edges, contain him, and make him make plays out of the pocket. That's what it seems like they've done. Yeah. Casey, do they do, – I mean, this is all a big guess. But that would be – that would almost go defy the logic with the situation that he's in now. Right. I mean, I can see them doing the same game plan. And the thing about it was he was mobile enough to extend the play while they had eight back. I mean, there's a, a clip I think we uh, – oh, I don't – we didn't have it on the show today. But – Last game, just this last time they met each other, and Paul Brown, Paycor, I love Paycor, it. He was scrambling around the back backfield for eight seconds. We were covering guys for about eight seconds, and he makes a throw, and he he completes a twenty yard pass. They call it back because Lyman downfield, right? And they the only thing they did was contain him in that pocket because he's not good when it comes to. The scripted stuff. 
when it comes to the three-step, just throw it as quick as you can. He's really great. He is amazing at off-script stuff. And when you take that away from him, I think you're going to see a way different quarterback. I agree. I really do. Do you, do you guys feel this way? And when I watch him, again, you guys think that I watch him from the lens of a hater. And, and some of that may be true. But when I watch him play, there are times where he has good pocket protection. There, the, the pocket is stable. Good line. Well, what I'm saying is, is that he will almost look to spin out and try to make like start to try to scramble when he doesn't theoretically need to scramble. It's almost as like his DNA as a football player is to try to be off script. And when you take that away from him, to Casey's point, I that's that's the part of me that makes me think that actually it's better to go with a guy that's fully healthy. When you take away one of his best pitches, to to your point, if you take away, I mean, this is a little too far, but if you took away Tim Wakefield's knuckle ball, then he's worthless. And maybe that's too far of a stretch. Give me another pitcher that you know off the top of your head. Like It would be like taking away Randy Johnson's slider. Still got the fastball. Rivera cutter. Well, he only threw one pitch. So, I mean, he, he, you just did the same thing. Like Tim Wakefield threw one pitch. Mariano Rivera yeah. threw one pitch. He's still, he's, K Casey said that he's not very good on script. That seems crazy. And I know he's better than almost anyone who's ever played the game off script. But to say that he's bad on script, seeing that we've seen, seems a major misstep. I don't seems think he's borderline just incorrect. I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback on scripted plays. I don't disagree with Casey. We'll see. You guys roll your eyes. You know what's beautiful about this, Casey, is one of us is we're, one of us is going to be proven right or wrong finally. Because if he does, well, I'm, in a, I'm in a better shape than you guys. Because if, if if I'm right, if <laughs> yeah. I'm right, and Patrick Mahomes sucks, and the Bengals are in the Super Bowl, hedging both sides, baby. That's that's the whole point. Or you can be Casey and be right on both sides. Just saying. All right. Yeah. All right. You are scared of Chris Jones, Reed. You, you, you put on here that you're scared of this man. So I don't know why you're scared of any of them because I'll tell you. You know what this reminds me of a little bit if I'm a Bengals fan? Yeah. It's like every year when you're a Packer fan, and that's what I am, uh, Lazia or whatever her name or, or, or guy's name is in the chat who's just ripping me up and down one side or the other calling me a Bengal fan. As a Packer fan, this game starts to remind me of, like, the Bears. It's like, yeah, the Bears have all these guys – they're in the NFC Championship game. We're not supposed to beat them, supposedly, but it's the Bears. Like, we're going to beat them. It's the Bears. It's like, at some point, as a Bengal fan, don't you just like the Chiefs? I don't care what happens. We're going to beat the Chiefs because that's what we do. Well, I think the whole point of the Chris Jones thing that I was going to bring up was the talk all of last week was, how is this line going to hold up? How is this line going to hold up? And they played fantastic. But you got to remember, the, the, the pass rush from... The Bills was playing in snow, and that, you know, drastically affects a pass rush because you can't you can't plant very quickly, can't move as quickly, and then secondly, Chris Jones is the best defensive player, or at least pass rusher, that the Bengals have seen that to this point in the postseason. And on top of that, he's an interior pass rush, which is the Achilles heel of Joe Burrow, right? Any quarterback, you, or yeah. Because he, push, he pushes back the center of the line, and that's when you get Joe Burrow kind of... If, if he can have the center of the field open, Joe Burrow's unstoppable. I mean, you can come off the edge and sack him eight times, but he'll still look over the center of the field. Aaron Donald did this to the Bengals last year. When you push back the center of the line, 
That's when Joe Burrow is at his worst. And Chris Jones is like third in the league in sacks, 15 and a half defensive tackle. Most by the defensive tackle by like five sacks this year. I'm just, Casey, you, you are more in tune with the offensive line. How worried are you that Chris Jones is going to dominate the, the interior of that defensive pass rush? Um, I, I think last, last game, he was not as big of a factor. Um, now that we're with Max Sharping, um, he might be, he might be lining up on the right side a little bit more. I, right. I, don't, I don't know, but Volson actually held his own. Uh, I'm, I'm going to double check the numbers real quick, but I do believe that, um, Last, last time they played each other, Chris Jones was not really a big factor. He might have – yeah, I mean, they ran for over 100-plus yards on them with Chris Jones. So, I mean, I think uh, – let me just double-check this real quick. I don't want to speak out of term. But I think I, – I don't think he's much of a factor as we think. I'm more worried about the edge. And I know Frank Clark isn't, like, a world-beater. But he's different than Gregory Rousseau. I talked about this last week. Gregory Rousseau is like Sam Hubbard. And look what happened to this last game against the Bills. I mean, Sam Hubbard isn't a world beater pass rushing. He's great at run defense. And he didn't play that great last week, Gregory Rousseau. But Frank Clark is a pass rusher. He is a genuine pass rusher. So let me just look at this real quick. Game reports, defense. Whether Can you look up uh, Clark's? PFF grade when they played the Bengals last time. Yeah, so do that as he, well. he he uh, Chris Jones was the highest graded, but he only had two total pressures. He was more effective in the the run game than anything. So you're more you're more worried about Frank Clark getting to Joe Burrow than you are about Chris Jones. Yeah, I'm more worried about the edge and them blitzing okay. than I am anything else. Um, this team is. I'm, this team loves to blitz, and they love to get after the quarterback. They love to confuse the line, open up holes for free rushers to get in. I mean, the interception for the Jags right. game is a perfect example of that. I'm not, I'm not completely discrediting that because it could be true. I'm just pointing out the, the fact that Chris Jones has three times as many sacks as Frank Clark. Right. No, I don't disagree with that either. 15 and a half to five. Ooh. Carlos Dunlap has as many sacks as Frank Clark for the Chiefs defense. And I think those two were more effective that game than anything. I mean, I'm yeah. now. I only say that because the tackles, and and I don't know if we're we're on the Jackson Carmen train or not. But that's that's the, the wild was, card of the weekend. Yes, right? still he, is. he still is. Like, was it the snow? What that was the that's my main thing. Was it the snow that helped? The that, get that off. snow helped. But, no I, but, but, but I will say the snow didn't help the offensive linemen for the Bills all that often. I mean, no, dude, they, 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 Josh Allen wasn't getting all that time in the pocket. So I, I, on one end, I do think the snow helped a little bit from the yeah. offensive line perspective. On the other end, I can't sit here and act like it was the total factor because yeah. the other side of the ball was having some problems. Both teams so play. he is. He's the wild card. And, and it's one of those things where, again— Jackson Carmen's been absolutely grilled in Cincinnati. He's been talked about as one of the biggest busts this team's had. And you look at all the great players that they've drafted, and they always point to that guy as being the guy that that was the, the bust of right. the draft, right? He's not been in his natural position, if we want to give him a little bit of credit here, right? He's never been afforded that opportunity. Yeah. 
there might be something to the idea. I'm not saying he's going to be all pro or he's going to be all, you know, he's not going to be going to, the, he's he's not going to the pro bowl. Maybe a left tackle. <laughs> but to all of everyone's point that they've been saying is that the line's not been good period. And that's what I've always said in regard to like the freezing point. I've talked about that before with college football. College football is this wild thing where you have these, these teams that play every week and the scores wildly di- differentiate themselves between when Ohio State plays Indiana and they win by 40, but then, they, but then when they play against Michigan, they score you know, significantly less points. Mm-hmm. There's a freezing point to this. At what point, like 32 degrees with water, when it just doesn't matter anymore, the water's frozen. At 32 degrees, or we'll say 30, at 30 degrees and 20 degrees, does it really matter what the temperature is in between there? Because the water's frozen regardless. So my question is, is if the offensive line is bad, or if you want to call it that, if the offensive line is bad, at what point when it gets worse, how much worse does it really matter? If you could get sacked nine times on the road and still win, every week we talk about can the offensive line hold up? At what point is it a different subject? At what, what other point can we bring up right now that might be the difference when in reality, this offensive line, we talk about it every week, and it never, it's never been the total reason as to why the game's been won or lost. Yeah, but- can I just Would interject one Go thing? Um, so last year, Chris Jones was way more effective um, getting after us. He had 12 total pressures in both games, six each, six in the, the regular season, and then six in that last championship yeah. game. This year, the fact that he only had two and the other two edge rushers both had two apiece, to me, it's an obvious answer that, that the edge is the more concerned than it is Chris Jones and the fact that we were able to run the ball, I think that's – he has to now be more worried and more concerned about clogging up the middle than I think he was the first game, mm-hmm. right? So I don't think that that is the main concern for the Bengals. I think the main concern is how do we not make Jackson Carmen and Akeem Adeniji look like scrubs? How do we scheme just like they did with the Bills where they let them just go after the, t- the, the linebackers upfield – do we pull the tight ends around to, to, to seal them with whams? Do we run a lot of trap? Things like that. Um, that That is, like I said, like we've been talking about, and just, just the little research I've done, um, that's where I'm more concerned. And the Chiefs fans, and um, they might come back and say, like, you know, Frank Clark hasn't been as effective this year. And same with George Karloftis. They've, they're not really the guys, but right. – they played pretty decently last time against the Bengals, yeah. and they we had we had Collins and we had Williams. Now we have Carmen and Adenogy. So if we were looking for any any semblance of me not being biased, that is where I'm looking at is the edge, okay, and and the linebackers blitzing free because they'll probably confuse the line. They'll try to do a lot of stunts, and uh, that's how they're going to be able to to get an advantage mm-hmm. that way. How many points do you think it takes for the Bengals to win the game? I'm still saying 27. But just Ooh. I think that's the number. That's exactly what I was going to say. So last two times, that's the score. Last yeah, two times 27, yeah. 24. Yeah, and then it was 34, 31 the first in the regular season last year. And, and and listen, the Chiefs have had the lead. What seems like I don't know off the top of my head. What had it a fourth is. It quarter like, lead in all three games. Okay, so yeah, it's like the Chiefs have been there every single game. The the, the variable for me at this point is Mahomes. It is the fact that. If this guy literally is going to play on one leg, I don't. I just don't see. I don't see how that is going to be more effective or, or or more fruitful than the first three meetings. It just 
yeah. obviously for for very obvious reasons doesn't add up one question came in from the chat uh john wright said the better question is what are we going to do next year with jonah he's in his final year next season and you guys obviously watch this much much closer than i but at this point you know you obviously have preseason next year to somewhat figure maybe that out you got, but you got a whole year you got a whole year to figure that out and I don't think that they're married to anybody on that line. I, there, there's no one that's been the good free enough. free agent guys, yeah. yeah. Besides the free agent guys. but Right. So it's like I probably be a competition for next year, but to be frank I, and not to be funny about it, but who really gives – who gives a rats, you know, what uh, in regards to who is going to win that job next year. All that matters is what's here and now. Um, we'll talk Bengals. Let's, we'll, let's, let's, we'll jump into these uh, last two topics. And yeah, we'll, let's talk Bengals a little bit longer because that's what the chat wants to talk about. We'll okay. talk about the Bengals. Um, Scott Rowland got in the Hall of Fame. That's newsworthy. I love Scott Rowland. What's your What's your quote? My favorite my, quote. My quote that Reed says the favorite quote that I've ever said is that if Scott Rowland isn't in the Hall of Fame, then there shouldn't be a Hall of Fame. And I agree, hundred percent. Scott Rowland was inducted. It was perceived to be that he wasn't going to have enough votes. That was the quote unquote you know, speculation because there, as Reed has brought up, and I'll let Reed get into this a little bit longer, um, is just the idea that the public votes that were out there had a percentage of like 80 to 85%. And yep. usually in years past, if you have 80, 85% from a public perspective, you're never going to get it once they go to the private ballots because some people just don't even vote on anybody. Reed, I'll let you just talk about that briefly. So yeah, there's about 500 votes that go out, I believe, somewhere like 450. I don't know the exact number of votes, but there's a guy that tracks them. He's got a great Twitter account. It's Ryan Thibodeau. Um, and he tracks the ballots and gives percentage along this whole voting process. And about 50% of the ballots had come in, and Scott Rowland was sitting right around 81%, 80% in just the private ballots. And in years past, we've seen the or he's sitting 81 percent in the public ballots the private ballots typically to be more conservative so when they come out you normally drop about 10 percent we saw scotty Rowland just barely clip over 75 percent todd helton got below 75 um carlos beltran is another guy who's probably going to get in his first year on the ballot got 55 so he'll continue to rise but yeah that was the whole point scotty Rowland, well deserving to yes. go in the hall of fame probably will go in as a cardinal philly cardinal well, cardinal okay yeah, I mean, he's had such a great career that, I mean, you could make the argument for both, but I would, at the end of the day, I think he's a Cardinal. Cardinal. Phillies, Phillies. That's where he started. Where he, he played. I think he played his longest part of his career. For <laughs> played a long time in Philly, though. I'm not going to sit here and say it's not Philly. Did they, well, how's that work? Do they get to choose that? So, yeah, so there was a big controversy. You guys might not know this. There's a huge controversy. The player gets to choose. And back when Wade Boggs got inducted into the Hall of Fame, he got inducted right around 2005, and he played his final few years with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. And the Tampa Bay Devil Rays paid Wade Boggs to go in as a Devil Ray because they wanted to have a Devil Ray in the Hall of Fame. And Cooperstown found out, and I think they nixed it. Like, all right, you guys don't get to choose which hat you get to go in. They paid Wade Boggs like a lot of money. To go in as a devil ray just to say we got a devil ray in the hall of fame 10 years marketing ago. baby right that's great marketing and they've ruined that whole process now but yeah that was a huge controversy like so now it's strictly just the I, uh the, the committee of cooperstown or whatever I, they call I don't themselves? know i don't know the process but I, I maybe maybe they suggest it and then the the committee goes like Wait, you're not going in as a you're not going in as a devil ray you played your final right. three years like scott, scott not, is not going in as a blue jay 
He's not going in as a Blue Jay. Toronto <laughs> can't pay him enough money. So I don't know how that, that whole process works, to be quite honest. How long did you guys get to watch Scott Rowland play? I only know him as a Red. Wow. Okay. I remember him coming up as that, that Cardinals team was loaded. They had Larry Walker, Jim Edmonds, Albert Pujols, Edgar Renteria, um, and then, of course, Scotty Rowland won like 106 games. That's how I, I remember. I don't remember him as a Philly. Do not. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember him as a. I had to go back and watch it last night when we were looking at the highlights about him as a Philly. I watched his Philly highlights. But uh, I mean, I guess, like, generally, I remember him as a Cardinal, but like, to rattle that off, like, Reed just, Reed also, you're more of a historian than I am, but. I remember going to Reds games and watching Scott Rowland. Yeah. But Scott Rowland for Edwin Encarnacion. Great trade for both parties. Pretty good deal for both parties. Here's why. With the Reds situation, I, it, this is how it felt. I don't know if this is a very good analogy, but I'll use a, a, the bad analogy of the day, if you will. I felt like when Scott Rowland came to the Reds, there was this situation similar to when Ohio State got Urban Meyer or maybe Georgia got Kirby Smart. Mm -hmm. There was a culture shift. And there was an expectation that shifted within the organization. And it felt like, at least as a Reds fan, that there was an expectation to win finally. And Scott Rowland, it seemed like, brought that energy or he was a part of that new wave of thinking. And maybe I'm giving him too much credit and he was just, he came over and it kind of was just this, you know, magical recipe of success for the Reds. But it did feel like that situation where Urban Meyer's Ohio State teams look different than Jim Tressel's Ohio State teams. And Scotty Rollins, if you will, Reds teams felt different and felt like they were there to win more so than maybe, I don't know, whoever was there prior to Scotty. And you hear those things echoed by people near the team, right? Marty, Tom, Bronson Arroyo even said when Scott Rowland came in, it shifted this whole face of the franchise. And he wasn't the face of the franchise, but he yeah. was the heartbeat of it, right? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's awesome to acknowledge. Paul, 49 days. you have any idea what that is? I'm going to... I'm hoping, if I'm doing the math right in my head, is that the first day of the NCAA tournament? It's actually St. Patrick's Day. So. <laughs> it is actually the first day of the first four. Okay. Quick debate. Okay. Do you consider the first four the first round of the NCAA tournament? I don't consider no. it the first round of the NCAA tournament, but I do think you make the turn. Like, you're going to con consider yourself as a team that made the NCAA tournament if you play in Dayton, but it's not the first round of the tournament, no. First round starts on Thursday. They tried to brand that yeah. as the first round thing a couple of years ago. They still do it. They still do, right? I don't no, think they do no. anymore. I think it's still I think it's just the first round. It was or like, it's the, it's the first four. Because the opening round turned into like the second and third round. Correct. Like, yeah. This isn't the third round. Yeah, no. But it's your second game. No, they they realized their confusion. They fixed that. It's just the first four now. What they need to do, and John Rothstein has this idea. Yeah, I um, love this. This is the best idea that the NCAA absolutely needs to do. They don't need to expand the tournament. Um what they and I don't think they are going to expand the tournament. Uh, for everybody that saw all those reports right. a few weeks ago, there was a lot more context to that that did not get reported about how the tournament was going to be expanded or not expanded, whatever. It's not going to get expanded right now. It may be in 10 years, but it's not right now. What they need to do is take out the 16 seeds from playing in the first four in Dayton. They need to take out the 16 seeds and just put the 16 seeds automatically into the tournament yeah. and create the first four as the last eight teams that make the tournament as at-large teams. 
So you see the last four in and the first four out, which if you are a team in the first four out, you are automatically a number one seed in the NIT because the tournament committee now says that the first four out literally is the first four teams that we had selected out of the tournament. It helps the coaches and the and the people that are – the basketball operations people that are going to schedule to say, like last year, Xavier people were watching those games on Selection Sunday, and I remember watching the Dayton game and some of those other games and saying, well, maybe if this team wins the Richmond game – or right, Xavier right. wasn't even in the first four out there, which means they weren't even close, right? Yeah. So that's helped the, that helps the scheduling now to know, all right, well, if you look back at last year's schedule, Xavier wasn't even close. Go into the tournament. Let those 16 seeds make the tournament. Mount St. Mary's. Yeah, all of you them. You know, all those those Texas Southern, these schools that constantly play in Dayton. Let them make the tournament. I get where it's cool for the 16 seeds to say that they won an NCAA tournament game. That's the flip side of it, is that those schools get to say that they won a, a game yeah, in the yeah. NCAA tournament. But for the product of the tournament, let those schools in. Let them play the big-name school. Stop putting them in Dayton and make the Dayton games four games, two games each night, four games with the last eight teams that make the tournament as at-large teams. Basically make it a wild card round, right? Basically, yeah. yeah. I think that would be electric. And, and you, you have just bigger bigger brands, like it or not. I mean, they might not be the biggest brands, but in the last few years, there has been some big brands that have been on the last eight teams in the tournament, right? Well, this year. This year... You could argue there's some really big names that would be in I mean, that eight bubble. You have Duke that Kentucky. you could argue. Kentucky, who's turning around. Big Blue Nation. Kentucky this isn't Duke. really Big Blue Nation. Could you imagine Kentucky, Kentucky Duke at UD Arena? <laughs> That'd be, be awesome. Great. Tickets would be so in, expensive. In, Indiana's, been, oh. Indiana's been in the first four. Our Hoosiers. Um, Our Ohio Hoosiers. State's a team this year, you could argue, if they get hot and make a little bit of a run, they could be one of those eight teams. Like There are big-name college basketball programs that would be playing each other in that situation that you just laid out, Paul. And I think that they need to, like the NCAA doesn't do, why not just make a quick fix? Yeah, make that, a quick fix. Do it. That's the thing is that they don't need to add more teams because if you think about adding teams when people were talking about going to like 95, 92, yeah, 95 that's teams. a logistical nightmare. It's a logistical nightmare and everybody says, well, it's more profit. But is it really all that more profit? when you have to travel all those teams yep. you need all the you need another round of facilities you need, there are a lot of costs that you don't think about just as like a general fan if you're thinking oh it'd be cool to have more teams in the NCAA tournament is it really that much more profitable to have all those teams in I don't know I don't know as you always say I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze but this is such an easy fix because you already have those teams there you just have to reorganize how they get in or don't get in so do it put those eight teams in and let them play. And then when you go to the first four, I love going to the first four in Dayton. When you go to the first four. Best arena in college basketball? It, best. That's a, UD. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, that's, that's I love one, UD Arena. That is one of the it's top the best, five. It's one of the top five arenas. Maybe in environment. Top, I don't know top about Top five or ten. I don't know about like physical arena. I just love, yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't care what locker room they're getting, Paul. You know, I, I, I'm I not talking about, about like, what they're talking about. The concourses are very crazy. I'm talking like, about when you, like, when you walk out on that floor, you sit in the stands, just the aura of that place is super cool. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. And if you've ever had the chance to walk through that locker room, you have to take a long tunnel all the way from ground level to the, like, straight to the floor. Yeah. It's a super cool place to watch a game or play. I think it's sick. Yeah. But no, UD Arena is an awesome place to watch a basketball game. And I. I hope, if nothing else, it continues to stay in Dayton for selfish reasons. Right. And if they do make it to where it is the last eight in, Paul, 
Yeah. That would be an electric factory for, for folks like us who like college basketball, but then also have the ability to possibly just drive right up the road. And those tickets would be a little bit more difficult to come by without a question if they make it the last eight in. Um, Does, should Dayton pull a UCF and claim a national championship in 2020? Yeah, I, that that's such a... It's, that's, it's, it's, I, I don't know how else to say it, but it's just it, it really, really stinks for Dayton because they genuinely had a chance. They, they had one of the best teams in the country. They had a lottery pick as, as a player, which you always need most likely to win the national championship. You need one guy that can carry you. And uh, they had it. They had everything they needed. Um, but they've, correct me if I'm wrong, they've been to the Final Four, right? Dayton. Dayton basketball, like in the, they, 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 lost, they lost to like UC. Way back no, They lost when. to UCLA, I think, Let in the championship. Let me find the year before I, before I Yeah, 1967, they lost to John Wooden and uh, Lou Alcinder and the UCLA Bruins. Okay. The last, the last question I have with college basketball, we'll move back, move back to the Bengals here uh, briefly before we get into the vault. At what point, from a year standpoint, does the history of a program become irrelevant? I bring this up because you just brought up the fact that Dayton basketball went to the Final Four, but they went so long ago that the generations of people that are watching them, does it really matter if they win or not? And I will bring up a point because I almost took a jab at the two of you. Yeah. And I almost took a jab in saying that it could have been worse because it could have been Xavier who had the team that you thought was going to go to the Final Four and they canceled the season. And then all of a sudden you've never been to the Final Four, which gets brought up a lot by fans. And I know it's like a kind of like a little poke in the side type thing. And, the, and, and we have a couple programs in this city that are starting to get to the point where it's like, does it really matter if UC went to the Final Four in the 50s? Does it, it, or is it just the same as Xavier? Because you've never been in so long that it just feels like you've never been. And I would argue, like it or not, Reds fans, we're getting to the point of looking around and asking ourselves, yeah, we have the big red machine, but who cares? I mean, yeah, it's history. I'm not trying to take anything away from it. Listen, I got a signed poster of the grade eight that I'm going to hang in my basement. I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the Reds. But I'm also not naive enough to sit here and say to myself, it doesn't really affect me that much. It doesn't make a difference. So until we get our own flowers, what's it matter if my great-grandfather or my grandfather got to watch them in their heyday? What, what, what line in the sand is that? The chat can fire away. What line in the sand? How many years? 50 years? People... People make fun of me because I oftentimes, when talking about my favorite sports teams, I say, in my lifetime, I've seen this and this and this. They're like, yeah, what about what about before your lifetime? Like, well, before my lifetime, I don't care what they did, to be quite honest. Reds fans make fun of me as a Cubs fan before we won our World Series. Be like, you guys haven't won a World Series in 108 years. And to be like, yeah, well, I've seen more postseason success in my lifetime than you guys have. Because I was born after 1990. Same thing when, when Xavier fans or UC fans go like, what was the last Final Four you guys been to, Xavier? Well, And you're just like, well, you're, you were born in 1996. Did you really enjoy that 1992 Final Four? And, and the other thing about the UC Final Fours that I have always said back, that I, I, don't know, I don't know why more people don't say this from the Xavier side. I, I feel like I'm the only one that ever says this. When UC made those Final Fours back in the 60s, before that. Yeah. They only had to win three games. 
Yeah, that was back. That was back. like that was before tournament expanded in 1985. They right. they have made a Final Four since then. I'm not trying to deny that they made it in 1992. But if you're talking about winning three games, like in 1960, whatever, with the last the, the last time they made the Final yeah. Four before 1992, they only had to win three games. That's the Elite Eight. Right. Xavier's done that three times. So if we're talking about that, and you talk about historical success. I don't know. To, to answer your question in short, Trace, I think that anything is on base for your conscious memory. So, like, for me, anything that happened before 2002, when I was six years old, I don't remember a darn thing about sports. Now, I remember watching sports in 2003. So, from there on out, like, yeah, I'm, I, if, if my team's better than 2003, I'll, I'll, I'll hammer you. That I've I've seen I've seen better days than you have, and I and I'm not going to listen to you when you make fun of oh the Cubs have won a World Series one time in 108 years. I don't care. So since you're since my so it's memory, so it's subject. So like uh, eight years old and older. So like for fair? you, like the early 90s, mid 90s. When do you remember start watching sports? No, the first memorable thing that I can remember of watching was. Um, when the Reds played the Mets, ninety-nine. I was young. Yeah, David Cohn. Um, and I feel, was Vaughn on the team then. Yeah, move on. Yeah, yeah, ninety-nine. David. So David Cohn. that's the first time I remember. Now, granted, I was just—I still didn't really grasp the whole right. thing yet, but I do remember watching it and being into it. Um, Corey Dillon's rusher, rushing record game for me as a Bengals fan. Um, for as a people fan. in the chat are going to be like all over the place. They're going to be making fun of how the fact that we're way too young or way too old. It's, that's not what this is about. We're not trying to make you feel older and different. Right, it's just, just it's just the basic question of does it even matter at some point? How you guys? You're a UC fan. You obviously, and, and I think that it's it's something I would say if I was a UC fan to Xavier fans. If I'm in a rivalry and one team's never had something that I could just have fun about it, of course I'm going to say it. But what in your mind, do you think there's a line in the sand, or do you what, what's your yeah, take on Yeah, of course this? there's a line in the sand, but I'll say this. Dang it! Dollar. Dollar. Dollar! Did we go a whole show? Almost! Almost a whole, almost oh a whole my God. show. We get a perfect game. Uh, <laughs> tough. Um, no, I was going to say my first sports memory, because I was seven, was Kenyon Martin break. I mean, like I remember watching those games that year, yeah, I was gonna say but like the Kenyon biggest Martin's memory teams, for right? me as a kid was Kenyon Martin breaking his leg. Like, yeah. that was my first yeah. definite or defiant sports memory. Um... Yeah, there's definitely a line in the sand. I mean, I wish, I that you know, I wish UC would have went to the Final Four. They could have won that, had a chance to win the national championship in 2000 when Kenya Martin broke his leg. Um, so yeah, I think the '92 Final Four is definitely more relevant than the what was it the '60, '61, '62, and they won the title two of those years. Right. Um, it's a a famous Tom line, and it's a tired joke. I mean, people still say it. I say it as a UC fan, but it's. It's almost become breaking the barrier of beating a dead horse. So, like, you know when you say a joke, and it's funny at first, and then you just keep saying it, and then you're like, oh, my God, you're beating the I'm dead I'm more worried horse. about winning the shootout. Like, it's embarrassing <laughs> to lose the shootout four times in, right. in a row. But but you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you tell a joke, and you, you, you hammer it home. It's funny at first. Then you hammer it home, and they're like, oh, my God, this, this tired joke. And then you break a barrier to where it's become its own inside joke that you're saying it so much, and then it's right. funny again. So, like, that's that's where the Final Four thing. It's broken the barrier. Like, oh, yeah, we haven't been to a Final Four thing. Sure. Go ahead and give it to them. Go ahead and give it to them. It's so, breaking that barrier. So, uh, this is kind of – it's related to that. During COVID, 
I went back and I knew the first baseball game that I'd ever been to. But I, I think I had a picture from it, but I wasn't sure. But I knew for a fact I remembered what the very first baseball game was I ever went to. And I knew it was at, well, it was Synergy Field when I went there. Yeah. And I knew that there was a fight because my favorite player growing up was Barry Bonds. And it's great. And it's great, great and ball player. <laughs> San Francisco was in town. So my parents took me to a Giants and Reds game. I was, I don't know how old, not very old. But I knew at that game, there was a fight at that game. That was all I remembered from that game was that there was a fight. And I remember the benches clearing. Wild first game. So during COVID, I tried to go back and figure out when that game was. I was like, God, was I seven, eight? Mm -hmm. Like, I was older, old enough to remember it. Maybe I was five. I don't know. I went back in the archives. I paid for a subscription to the archives of the Cincinnati Enquirer. I went back to 2000. I have the cover photo right here. Red streak is over, but bad blood isn't. And I found the cover from the day after that game. It was April 29th, 2002. So the game would have been on the 28th. It would, probably would have been when I was in town for Easter break or Easter. Barry Bonds hit 46 home runs in 2002. 2002. And there's a picture. Is that who is that on the cover? Sean Casey. Sean Casey. He got hit by. Felix Rodriguez. They went to the World Series. Giants went to Game 7 of the World Series. Yeah. That's when Dusty Baker got fired because he had bad bad uh, relief pitching. <laughs> Dusty yep. Baker. Thank God he finally won one because God. Dusty Baker. No one no, no one, one deserved to get fired. In the history of sports. Like, no, no, one, no one got un, what would it be, unjustly fired more oh, than Dusty yeah. Baker. Right. I mean, that guy was in the World Series, got fired. Went to some franchise that hasn't won in a long time, got to the World Series. Or got close to the World Series, yeah. fired. Goes to the Reds, been terrible forever. Gets them to the playoffs, postseason a few times. Well, he just can't get over the hump, fired. Goes to Washington, fired. Goes to Washington, two years, <laughs> wins like 95 games each year, fired. Fired. Goes, fired. And he has to go to the lowly Houston Astros, it felt like, where everybody hated him, and then all of a sudden he had to win there. It's like Great marketing. It was. It was. One of the best. Good BR move by the Astros. My son's in here spamming the chat. You know, one thing about my son, who just started to kind of get into sports, obviously. He's 10 now, and he he understands all of it. I fear for him because, you know, he grows up with my fandom. And one of them's the Georgia Bulldogs. The other one's Kansas. I mean, going back-to-back national championships. Kansas won a national championship last year. The first real memory I have, we talked about all these things, the first real memory, like Paul said, I have of being a real dedicated, diehard fan is I cried when I was in eighth grade when Kansas lost to Syracuse in the national championship with Heinrich mm-hmm. and Collison. Akeem Warwick blocked Hello. Brandon Rush shot in the corner. Um, and that was uh, heartbreaking. My son's never had to do any of that. He's never had a heartbreak. Besides the Packers. He did cry last uh, when the 49ers Block we'll the there. punt. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. But I mean, I don't feel sorry for him. He didn't have. He's had to endure little to no pain until he figures out. Uh, well, while my, I, my first Cubs memory is Steve Bartman, guys. <laughs> yikes! Well, while I was getting my haircut last night, we were talking about moments like when you've cried about sports, yeah. and I was like, I can't remember the last. Oh, well, I do remember. I was like nine, ten when I cried because I was sad about a game. Oh, was, I cried of I cried of joy, guys. I I was at the drink and I was tearing up when the Bengals were just beating the brakes off the Bills this weekend. I ain't gonna uh, lie. Yeah. I, I was, I but was sadness. Oh, the, when was the last time you cried because you were sad because of a game? I mean, I was eight, nine. You you okay? This is not me last trying year, to bring up a bad memory, but that Wisconsin shot at Xavier. You didn't shed a tear on that one. No. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's I was like the heartbreaking loss. 
Dude, when UC lost to Nevada up 22 with 11 minutes to go to bring up all the best Cincinnati sports memories, I turned off my phone for three hours and just laid on the floor. No, no, no. I, I didn't, no. I mean, it's, it was a bad loss, but like, I don't know. No, I did not cry. I don't think I've ever said that publicly, but that's, yeah. You I haven't cried? You haven't cried over a sporting event ever? No, uh, when Brett Favre lost to the Saints. How old were you? Whenever, what year was that? 2008? 2008? To these Vikings, 11? right? It was, Vikings. it was his yeah, Vikings 2008. year. 2008. I was probably, I was 11, I think. I Emperor is saying that Mahomes supposedly practicing today. I don't, call me an ankle expert. I seen someone in the chat say that I was an ankle expert earlier. Just put a brace, slap a brace on I it. don't see it. I don't see it. He's gonna play. The only way is if, this is a spin zone, you ready for this one? The okay. only way that he plays is if he's out there dramatizing this ankle injury, saying it's this high ankle injury, he's wobbling around all game, talking about how it's hurting, throws his jacket around, acting like he's done broke his leg, and the next thing you know, it's not as bad as... That's really not that bad. A real man would have just not hobbled around. So How awesome would it be if they were like, all right, we're going to add a new rule. If defensive linemen can wear clubs with a broken wrist, Patrick Mahomes gets a scooter, and he's just rocking around in the, par in the, in the pocket with those knee scooters, you know what I'm talking about, when they break their oh, ankle? Oh, yeah. That'd be, that'd be just ridiculous. <laughs> just him in the pocket they should do something like that the chiefs are kind of funny like the whole like ring around the rosy thing it's kind of funny out, like for the first play like he came out of the sideline and just came out on a scooter and then they like took the scooter off the field but just just made kind of a joke about it <laughs> what are the odds that the Bengals do the ring around the rosy thing as a celebration it's got to be oh. got to be pretty high right if, if they're up like oh, if yeah. they're up like two touchdowns with four minutes to go and the ball and like they're just running the clock out, they have to do that when they go to line up to do a play. They have to. Yeah, that, I mean that would be an all-time moment in sports in sports uh, fandom history for me because there's nothing better than to see the bullies and the trolls to get trolled. You know, we'll mm -hmm. see. I don't know why I don't have such a distaste for the Chiefs. I think I have a distaste. Bills fans do. I can tell you what. And we heard it. I don't know if you did. Sorry to interrupt. I don't know if you Go did, ahead, Casey. Dog. But literally every single Bills fan said expletive Chiefs. Yeah. They hate them. They hate them. And now they hate us too. Yeah, I think anybody, anybody that takes something away from you, you're not going to like. Steelers, you don't like them. The Browns, you don't. The nah. thing about the Browns is you don't really hate hate the Browns because they've never really taken a whole lot from you, but you just dislike them because they always act like they're relevant when they've never been relevant to a certain extent. I, that's the way I look at it from the outside looking at This guy stinks! <laughs> There's some truth to that. It's probably similar to like a Cardinals fan to a Cubs fan, like or a Cardinals fan to a Reds fan. You're just like, why do you hate? Like, you hate me, so I'll hate you back, but like, you, you, you don't affect me at all. Right. D don't affect me at all. I think the disdain for the Chiefs comes from my personal self is that they put the Chiefs. They started comparing the Chiefs to the Patriots when they won one Super Bowl. The Patriots won seven. It's like, and maybe maybe I read too much into that narrative, but it was like, oh, the next dynasty. The Chiefs are the next dynasty, and it's like, what? They're the dynasty. How are they a dynasty? They they won one game, or they won one Super Bowl. The other team's won seven.
But the vault's not doing well for me, guys. I might have to take, I don't want to say a break. That's probably the wrong word to use. But, man, I'll tell you what. It's not been going good for me. I made a mistake last night. I'll tell the story. Um, who, sponsor, who, sponsors, who sponsors this show again? Bedfred Sportsbook yeah. sponsors this show. And uh, they're the best sports book there is in Ohio. you got to be 21 plus in Ohio to gamble. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, last night, the Georgetown Hoyas, we all rooted them on to victory. They won. The game comes on right after. FS1. Boise State v. Fresno State. Go Broncos. One game in which, to be frank, if you're, if you're, if you're rooting hard for that game, you might want to call the 1-800-GAMBLER number. So I'm like, you know, I'll pass the time here. Um, I don't know. Should I, use, should I use units here? Should I even say? Units. units. Should I use units? Units. Okay, units. I'll use units and not the number. It's a lot. Uh, you- <laughs> I put into the live bet. Boys, let me back up. Boise State was like 12-2 and two or 13-2, and 5-1 or 6-1 and one in the league. Playing Fresno State, who had a bad record, and somehow Fresno State's winning eleven to two right when I turn it on, and I'm immediately my brain immediately goes, which maybe this is a problem, maybe it's not, I don't know. That's for you to decide. Uh, <laughs> my brain immediately goes, I gotta look and see what the live line is because clearly there's a there's there's a situation that's happening that's not supposed to happen, and I'm gonna try to take advantage of it. So I wanted to put in, let's call it a half a unit, just kind of one of those things where I go get a cup of coffee and whatever. I'll relax and watch watch sports and get into the Discord and chat around with the guys. I accidentally put what was it? 10 units on this? You hit, you accidentally hit another zero. Yeah, I basically had it. I put an extra zero in what I wanted. And I freaked out. I, I, I When I say my heart sank in panic, it sank in panic as like, I just made a huge mistake. So what I ultimately had to do was watch this game, sweat this game out for the next four, five, six, eight minutes or whatever it was. It felt like an eternity of praying to basically praying to God that Boise State made a big enough run that I could just put a same amount size bet on the opposite side so I can't lose. I'll lose my juice, if you will, the whatever, the little yeah. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks that it was going to cost me just to get myself out of this hellhole that was sweating out a Mountain West game in my bedroom at whatever time it was. It was late. <laughs> it was late. So I had Boise at minus six and a half, and I had Fresno at getting eight and a half. So I, I got lucky to where I hedged it. But then I started thinking, wait a minute. If this game ends where Boise State wins by seven or they win by eight, I win both the bets. And it's turned into an electric factory towards the end, didn't it, Paul? Yeah, it did. I sent text to Paul, I sent a Paul a text to Paul, excuse me, and I said for your eyes only. But I need to show you what I'm doing right now. <laughs> and what was your immediate reaction when you seen this text? Well, I do appreciate that you knew that I was watching that game already, and uh, yeah, I so I get this text from Trace, and it's just like a oh no. And I was like, all right, well, we got to lock in here and see if we can get the Broncos home by seven or eight. And I just I looked at it and I was like. He must be really confident in Boise State. And then I saw the follow-up, and I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> and then I realized we probably had an issue. And it was the same issue that Reed had in the UCLA game the other night where you were hoping that you had a an chance. opportunity to hedge it. You got lucky and got a chance to hedge it. Reed didn't. No. And thank God you didn't hedge it because you would have lost your hedge. Right. 
So you got lucky. Yeah, I got really lucky. And and what I will say Dollar. is that you would have won the original bet. I know. So, I mean, you don't want to sweat it, but like if you hadn't ever gotten that hedge, you would have won the original bet. I know. So that's good. It is good, but I, I, <laughs> I, it actually isn't good because I ended up losing the juice because I made a mistake when I would have theoretically just won the little small, small, whatever, measly bet that I made originally that I intended to make. Yeah. That's here nor there. So the whole lesson in this is, is that don't rush when you're trying to put in a bet. Don't, don't hit an extra zero and then hit the submit button, which I have a problem, to be honest with you, because they should move the are you sure button a little bit off to the side. Yeah. Right? When you, when you tap the screen and you're like, did it go through and you tap it again and it just so happens that right at the last second it, it pops up the second dialog box, it should be somewhere else. But that's here nor there. And, and this, is, this is not a Betfred. Betfred does it, but a lot of other books do it. So this is not a knock on Betfred. I'm just more of a betting thing in general. The when it counts down when you go to submit your bet, actually Betfred might not do it. I don't know, because I, I don't. I've I've so do you use other books. I have I've scaled back my live betting to like zero. It's the devil. It is it is cost me. So I I I yeah. Responsible. When, that that is what it is. You got when, when you go to put in a bet and it counts down five four three two one, and then it submits. It'll change the odds in those five seconds. It did that to me too. Yeah. And sometimes it's like a team will make a three or a, something crazy will happen and it'll be a significant change in those five seconds. That's happened to me like three times. And I just, I'm, I'm done with the live betting for a while because boy, I've made some money. And I'm that actually happened to me last night. Yeah. I, I went to put it in at five and a half. Yeah. And then it popped up and it had an extra zero in it and it was six and a half. Yeah. I was like, whoa. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. All I, right. The I, chat is the chat is electric right now. <laughs> what is going on? How about last night? You talk about live betting or just oh, the craziness man. of betting with basketball games. I know I texted you about Wyoming and they blew it. But UNC, it was it was minus four and a half. Yep. And it was at four, and they got two free throws, and the guy misses both. Yep. <laughs> oh, did they really? So yeah. they didn't cover UNC didn't cover. No. no. They got fouled with point. Seven seconds left. Oh, he just has to make one. Throws. Just had to make one. Miss both. Oh, my goodness. Not good. So we got some games tonight. Let's we run through them. Games. All right, let's go to the vault. Because this is the official, unofficial college basketball show of Chatterbox Sports. It's going to so, have to be so based the, off of the Tom loves college basketball. So in the Discord. Has Tom ever listened to a Rebound Rundown episode? No. Not a chance. No. No. Rebound Rundown, what's that? No. No, he has not. So... The the talk in, in Discord this morning, I've seen it on Twitter, seen a few people tweet about it, obviously because of the proximity. We're here in Cincinnati. The Xavier UC line is six and a half, guys. <laughs> God damn. UConn, still UC. Oh, I thought you were doing it a still UC. There. No, I just. Oh, I thought you were doing a stick. Yeah. Okay. Still works. University of Connecticut. Yeah, still works. UC. UConn line. Minus six and a half. Xavier, better record, better ranked. Yeah, Already like, beat them. Feels like a trap, doesn't it? Um, playing better as of late, although they did, did lose to DePaul last week, but UConn has lost five of their last, what, seven? Five of their last six? This seems like a trap of all traps. And I've already seen people on our Discord talk about hammering it. Yeah, don't do that, guys. I, I, I'm going to advise you to stay off of it. 
Yeah. That being said, I'm taking the money line because I'm going to watch the game. I'm going to be rooting for a Xavier win. And if you're going to give me plus two on a Xavier win that I'm going to be rooting for, sure. I, I'll take it. I think it's – I do think it's a little bit of a trap, but even at eight, I think it's down to six and a half now. But when it opened at eight, I mean, even if Xavier doesn't win, eight is so many points in a game like this. Correct. Both these teams get up and down the floor, though, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of my point. When sometimes I look at a line – you have to judge whether or not, like, what the total is. The over-under. That has to come into play. That has to be a mind, like a, a mindset. Eight points in a UCLA game, as we've talked about before, and we made jokes about it and laugh about it. Yeah, that is 11-point favorites, that, that's a tough you ever watch, to I mean, let's be honest. When you watch college basketball times, a six-point lead in certain games feels like a 15-point lead, and an eight-point lead feels like it could be gone in a matter of 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think that this game – is, is more of the, the lead's gone in 90 seconds type game, right? I haven't watched yeah. Connecticut play a ton. I've seen Xavier play a good amount. I I was shocked that they were getting, giving or getting, whichever side you're talking about, but UConn's giving that many points. Well, but can I play devil's advocate about Xavier for a minute? Yeah. Sure. All of their home games that they've played have been somewhat tight, and they've, and they've won them, right? When they've gone on the road, they've struggled at times. I'm not. I haven't gone. I haven't watched every single game of theirs like you guys have. So I'm nowhere near as knowledgeable as the two of you, and I openly admit that. But you look at a team like DePaul, who who just beat Xavier. Yeah. I'm not saying Xavier struggled with Georgetown, but I'm saying that they didn't run them out of the gym. They certain and, and Primo Spears is a part of that conversation. He had a great game. So he kept if, them right around if, double digits the majority of the game. If Primo Spears doesn't play well, then you could say that Georgetown gets gets smacked in that game, and rightfully so. Well, my point is, is if I'm looking at Xavier from an outside perspective, and I'm not in the weeds of it like you guys are, they didn't blow out Georgetown. They lost to DePaul. Now they got to go on the road, which is something they haven't had to do a whole lot in this league yet against good teams. And they got to play a team that's hungry to finally get back on track in a team that they're not going to sleepwalk against. They're going against the team that's winning the conference. All, you add all that up, and that's why I'm saying that line can make sense. Not saying it's right, just saying that I'm not. If I were to have to gamble on this game, I'd have to bet UConn just because it seems like a trap. It seems like that's the thing that everyone wants you to do is the opposite side. Here's the, the, the flip side to that is a lot of these Vegas lines are very correlated to what the computer numbers project on games like this for college basketball because there's just so many games that you have to turn around and set lines for every day. This College basketball lines get set based off of data every day. And you look at Ohio State, who right now is 11-9, and nine. And they were four-point underdogs last night against an Illinois team that has been up and down this year, and it's tough to get a read on Illinois. But Ohio State got blown out by Illinois. Ohio State has now lost, I believe, six of their last seven, six of their last seven games. They do have that win over Iowa. But my point is that the computers love Ohio State right now. And they they are not conceding defeat on Ohio State. And no matter how much they lose, they still stay in that. Ohio top. State is on the do not too. bet list. Ohio State is never to be bet upon. No, I, you, I, you can keep them off the do. They're not officially part of the Discord do not bet. Yeah, list. it's Illinois that's on my do not bet list because I just I'm a, I'm on the wrong side of them 
winning a blowout, and I'm on the wrong side of them losing a blowout. I got no idea what the hell's going on with Illinois. Can you see this UConn team that was earlier in the season blowing out everyone? I mean, I'm looking at their November scores. They beat Oregon by 24. They beat Alabama, who's going to win the SEC. By 15. By 15. They beat Iowa State by 20. They beat Oklahoma State by 10. They beat Florida by 21. And ever since they came into the Taz on December 31st, They've won two out of their last seven games. So it's just a matter – like, before Xavier played Connecticut, before UConn played Xavier, they were a hot button, like, this is the best team in the country because they were kicking everybody's ass. And since then, obviously, they lost five of their last seven. So you're just wondering – that's why this spread's so big because Connecticut has that capability to run you out the gym. And, but They've and showed it. That and, to finish up my Ohio State point, the computers still love UConn. They right. started the season 27th. They got all the way up to number one on the computers, and now they're they, even though they've lost five of seven, they're still only at number six, right. and their numbers back that up. So that's where you could that's where you could have that. But anyway, that's not my pick of the night. My pick of the night, I'm rolling with them. I've rolled with them all calendar year now since since the flip of the new year. They have not let me down. They're an absolute wagon. I don't care who they're playing. I'm taking Alabama. Taking Alabama. Whatever the point spread is, I'm taking Alabama. Also worth mentioning, I think the line right now um, is 153.5 for the Xavier game. They're like 14 and 4. 14 and 3 on overs this year. Xavier, Xavier like games that, are. Yeah. Something, something nuts. And it, granted, two out of their last three games have gone under. But. And the Bengals game is also down. You, the odds have updated since we put the bottom nice. scroll in there. It's down, down to 1. Seho, you like a game tonight? Uh... I am gonna take Xavier to cover six and a half. Is that what? That's what I saw on. Is that still valid? Do you lose your alumni somewhere around in there? Alumni yeah. card for UC? No, this is this is for monetary purposes, not okay. fan. I didn't know if that worked. I you know, and I'll say this: I do. Gosh darn it! It's dollar. Dollar. I went like I went like the first week we did that without saying it and calling everyone out. I like. I liked working with Travis Steele a lot. Sean Miller was one of my first guests on the Mental Game podcast, so I do root for Xavier some nights. Tonight will be one of them. Okay. Case? <laughs> <clears throat> what kind of parlay you got going for us, Case? 76ers, spread, five and a half. Uh, Kyrie Irving, score 25-plus points. And Ben Simmons, over eight points. Gets you plus 450. Nice. Nice. Almost always, almost hits. Doc, you got one for us? I've been struggling on, on college basketball. Mightily. Very, very poorly. Last night was a just tough night. Um, you know, one thing that I'm not sure if it's... If it's I, I got the, the jury's still out, as they say. These teasers that you can do in college basketball that are like four legs, three or four legs that pay around even money, they might turn out to be bad news bears as well. Yeah. But yesterday I was a hundred percent right on three of them. And I forced myself to do the thing that we all said don't do, which was the old miss situation. But last night I have, I was getting 31 and a half points with Eastern Michigan. Oh, Imani Bates. Imani Bates went off. If you didn't see that, that's one of the most remarkable college basketball performances of all time. They did not win, but they came close to winning. Um, I think there's something to the idea of finding dogs and or favorites that you love 
and teasing them with the 10 points and, and doing three of them. So I'm looking through it right now. Florida's playing South Carolina tonight. Um, Florida's giving 15 and a half. I think that that's one that I'm probably going to tease down. Um, to what, five and a half? Thinking that's a bad idea. You think South Carolina's going to have another rerun of Kentucky? No, I just... I've never. You see the board clearly, majority of the time, and you, you're. Yeah, I'm struggling. You, you are. Because you're not comp, I mean, you're stepping up to the golf ball, and you, and right. you don't, you don't like your club. You don't you're like right. your club. You're not that's a lot a, of confidence. That's a perfect analogy right now, because oftentimes the thing that we rely heavily on is nails, and it doesn't, it doesn't lose like it lost last night. It, and, it, and when I say lose, I'm talking like when when you're when the team doesn't cover by ten plus points. Right. right? Like it's not even. It's not even like. No, I was on. I was just got a little no unlucky, and I was on the wrong. Like side. Like the UNC one, you were on the right side of that. It's just right. Yeah. Maybe were you on the right side of the UNC one because they, they were, they were down by throw. four. No, I'm saying they were down by. They were down by four though, Paul. With like. But a it wasn't. Left. But you weren't blown out the gym. Yeah. is what you're getting. Yeah. yeah. I I just I feel as if the system and the analytics that you talked about with Connecticut and, and and Xavier that whole situation, they get stuck on these teams. And I'm just not sure if we should keep just like I did with the NFL two are years we, ago with the Jaguars. Do are, you, we gonna, are we going to put the Rebels on the, on the I, no bet list? They have to be. Ole Miss is terrible. I, I, was, I, was so, I was so, not upset's the wrong word. I was so baffled last night that there's a head basketball coach that works in the SEC. I had to look his name up. I forgot his name already. Just means more. But there's a coach at, at, at Ole Miss last night. That took all of he had no timeouts left at sixteen at the sixteen minute and twenty second mark of the second half. How do you burn through all of your timeouts with sixteen minutes left in the game? You can't take them with you. I mean, it's not a retirement on. fund, Trace. <laughs> Go use them, baby. Live life. The Talk last thing team. I have is, is, is Huggy Bear. This oh, is no. this serious question. Oh, we're back oh, on that. No. We're back on that. Oh, that's a new one. Sorry, I was thinking Cal. Is Huggy Bear close to being done? Yeah. I love hugs. But he's got to be close, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's close. Who else is close on that list? And let's leave. Then, Mick will, go, then, then Mick will go Bayheim. there. Then John Brandon. Bayheim's. You know what? I, I This is a wild take I have. Bayheim is incredibly selfish at this point. Yes. What a selfish, righteous asshole. Oh. I mean, he built the program. Right. Give him all the credit in the world. Genuinely mean that. But at what point do you bury the. the, the it reminds me of the guy that, that, and maybe it's his money to lose. It reminds me of the guy that built his family's net worth up to millions of dollars. And he's got generations sitting behind him waiting for him to pass over the, the throne. And he's just out there just splurging, spending money left and right. And the next thing you know, he's going to turn around and hand over this fortune to his kids. And there's not going to be a fortune left. How long until Syracuse basketball is irrelevant before he decides, you know what? This isn't fit for me anymore. I got to get out of here. That's incredible. He's, he's being selfish. Call he's me being Patrick Mahomes. Let Chad Henney play. <laughs> Let Chad Henney coach. Where are we going to lunch? Yeah, lunch wheel. Put Gina's on there. We haven't been there Hides, a long time. Waffle House. God, Waffle House. Don't, don't. Whoa. I just don't like it for lunch. just don't like it for lunch. You do that before 10 a.m. Or after. Midnight. Or, yeah. Waffle House, put it on there. Waffle House at 2.30 would be a tough sell for me. 
Well, it's only one thirty, so you sell us on Taco Bell literally all the time. Yeah, That's true. you can go to Waffle House one time. That's true. I'm tired of Taco Bell. Tired. Tired. It's tired. But I can't even read what we got over here. Got Waffle House. You got Hides. Yep. Gina's. Yep. All it up. And Chipotle. That's all I got on there so far. Fire. You guys don't like sushi, do you? I like sushi. Yeah. Firehouse? No roll on in. I used to not like sushi and then Firehouse. Gave it a shot. Burger any burger place? King? Yeah, put put put, put whopper, 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 whopper. Single, double, triple whopper. You know what the better song is? Where he's Playing like uh, steak with That can't be the, the real toppers. price. I just checked out that is the real price. <laughs> BK. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. You rule. All right, that's it. Spin it. I should have spun it with the two. All right, let's go. <laughs> I feel like the text is wildly yeah, what, small. What's going on with the text here? We have to look at the. I just put caps in the. In some what's of them. That's we ridiculous. Won't, won't yeah, we won't. We'll never get hides. We'll never have anything nice. What about us thinking about what we were going to do this show remotely? Look outside in the morning and there's just no snow. I, I think it's low-hanging fruit to make fun of... Um, Kids are off school. Meteorologists. I mean, that's a really hard thing to do to predict the weather. But boy, oh boy, did they swing and miss on this one. They've swung and missed twice. We were supposed to get an inch on Sunday. Oh. We got six. Meteorologists' job largely is just to read data and display it to the public. Right. Think it's, about it. They're not predicting anything. Right. They, they don't got a crystal ball. No, they're, they're just looking at their things that they were taught, and they portray that? that to the public. House. So, What are the two options left? Whopper. You can't see, can you? I can't see anything. The weatherman. Firehouse and Whopper. Whopper. The weatherman is just, <laughs> is just, is just the... Um, oh, this is... Trace, I we're should, fighting for our life on lunch right now. We are? Firehouse. We got it. That's good. What was the other option? Whopper, whopper, whopper. Whopper, whopper. Hey, I'm serious. Last take of the day. You ready? I need folks to help me remember what word I'm thinking of. The messenger. Okay. I just thought of this, and this is maybe shows you how Stroke of genius. maybe I'm not the brightest of the bunch. But the weatherman and or woman... It's just a messenger. Right. They're just if, reading if, what they've If, they've if we want to get mad that they're wrong, theoretically, we should start getting on the people who come up with the... The, uh, the data tracking The data system. tracking system. Yeah. Let's get on their ass a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Let's put them in the spotlight. Who yeah. are the people behind the scenes making the data tracking systems? I want the names of the companies. I want the, 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 the people on the boards of those companies. Let's get down to it. By next show on Friday, I'm going to come with something serviceable i'm not going to say it's great but i'm going to come with something that says these are the people that come up with the systems and these are the people we should be getting on the next time we have a weather problem it's not the messenger you can't shoot the messenger reed right am i wrong on that take no, you're right you're right whoever's making the doppler radar and or the statistical algorithms or the farmer's almanac farmer's almanac whoever's making those that's who we need to figure out and go who after. sponsors the show Bedfred Sportsbook. What is the show called? It's called The Box Lunch, presented by Bedfred Sportsbook. Thank you for watching. If you are going to gamble, gamble responsibly, 21 plus in Ohio. If you have a gambling problem, as always, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And if you don't have a gambling problem, get in the Discord and have some fun with us tonight. How about that? Let's go. All right? Hell yeah. I'm getting back on the saddle tonight. We're going to win some money. See ya.